0: Welcome to Marriage on a Tightrope. I'm Hayden. I'm Alan. And I'm Katie.
1: And we're, well, we're married and we're still your parents.
0: Get out of here. Yes!
1: All right, go walk the dog.
0: We're excited to share with you the interview from Shane and Wendy Adamson.
1: Yes, honestly, these episodes that we do interviews with, I think they're great because a lot of different couples share different things and they're going to hit different couples in different ways. But this episode is particularly useful or impactful for transitioning women, wouldn't you think?
0: Yes. I think Wendy did an excellent job to speaking to her experience and her transition out. And it is fascinating. I mean, her story just of how she joined the church and how she grew up is just so interesting. And Shane is an incredible therapist, and so uh, during the interview, you'll hear them be be super thoughtful and really validate a lot of the things Wendy is saying. And they really model a very good relationship um, behavior when one is transitioning out and one is still in, and you can tell that they are just very loving to each other. So we're excited to share that with you. But before we do, we have a few announcements.
1: Katie, we're closing in on episode 100. Oh. We have to do something like great for that, right?
0: It's got to be something big.
1: We are interviewing President Russell M. Nelson for episode 100. No, we're not. No,
0: we're not. <laughs> no, we're not. Uh, so. Just let's get to a couple of announcements. So, first of all, thank you to the many of you who signed up for the course. We, whether it was your do it yourself program or it was, um, for our January class. We're a little more than halfway full. So, if you would like to still join us, we have some spots opened. You can, uh, do that at thinkific marriage on a tightrope com and you can sign up that way. Also, if you want to use your HSA before the end of the year runs out, just send us an email, and we can set that up for you.
1: If you're listening to this before December fifteenth, so one week from today that we're recording, our Facebook uh, fundraiser is still live up until that point, and we've almost reached our fundraising goal. That is to help us get through the first few months. Of uh, 2021 with all the efforts that we put into the podcast and it's so so appreciated to everyone that has that has donated um i'm talking to you donor if you haven't i'm not talking to you but now i am talking to you we love you still don't worry about it
0: yeah we do and we are so grateful it's really so awesome to see uh how much people are generous this time of year, either with us or with, there's so many other things out there, Mormon Stories podcast, um, there's the Sunstone podcast, there's a lot of good worthy things to donate to. So uh, if you feel like we are one of those, we would love your donation. And we are almost to that our first benchmark that we wanted to hit. So you can go uh, to Facebook or you can send us the Venmo or go to our Mormon discussions page and donate there.
1: That's right. Last thing I would say is we just created a TikTok account. <laughs> Why? Because I was a little bored while we were watching Downton Abbey last night in bed. Rude. I like the show, but I had something, I, I multitasked and I created a TikTok account for Marriage on a Rope. So you can follow us on TikTok. We haven't put anything out except for the initial introduction uh post, which is using one of their 11 templates and it was super low effort, but it will be, oh, just the best TikTok account and the, I don't know. The most
0: thoughtful, the funniest, the...
1: Clearly, Married... 30 to 45 year olds are the key demographic for tiktok so we're we're joining the hype
0: yeah people really want marriage (laughs) advice through tiktok
1: exactly oh we think it'll be fun we hope you enjoy the episode with shane and wendy adamson and apologies in advance katie and my mic were slightly hot so it's a little bit distorted not too too bad but uh apologies enjoy the episode We are now so excited to have Shane and Wendy Adamson join Marriage on a Tightrope. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Alan and
0: Katie.
1: For those that don't know, we, the last few episodes have announced that we have a calendar on Calendly where you can just go and sign up and say, we'll tell our story, because we're kind of insane, and we'll <laughs> we'll do that. No, this is
0: supposed to be encouraging for people. Oh, yeah, sorry, because we have <laughs> we something want, worthwhile to share. We want to, to give back. We would like to tell our story.
1: That's right. Um, our last episode was the first couple, that Andrew and Katie, that came on and did that, and now we're speaking with Shane and Wendy, who decided that they wanted to tell their story as well, and we've only known you. We're looking at them face-to-face here on Zoom. We've only known you guys for 20 minutes, And we feel like we're so excited to have everybody get to know you, including ourselves. So thank you very much once again. Uh, Let's go back to the beginning. First of all, where are you currently residing?
2: We are living in, uh, it's called Savannah, Texas. And it's, um, we're about... 20 minutes north of Dallas and right near Frisco, Texas, where we lived for 9 years and then we've just moved up to Aubrey where Savannah is. I just went to Dallas for the yeah. first time in February. That was
0: my last trip before COVID and it was by far the best food I've ever had in any other city. It was amazing. <laughs> it's
2: so good. Well, outside of COVID. <laughs> I know.
1: Before we dig into your story, this is a probably a good moment to just to mention that Shane, mild spoilers when we get to kind of what you do for a living, but Shane is a marriage and family therapist. And in fact, for the month of December, he is our visiting therapist for Therapist Tuesday in our uh, Marriage on a Tightrope Facebook group. And Shane, you posted something today. Today's Tuesday when we're recording.
2: I looked over in bed. I woke up at 11 and he wasn't there and he was in the kitchen writing. (laughs) So yeah, he put his heart into that one.
1: Let's get to know the Adamsons. Our, so, what we like to do, if you've heard interviews before, everybody, is go back in time a little bit, talk a little bit about your LDS upbringing, where you grew up, what the church meant to you as you were growing up. And we spend a few minutes doing that leading up to, and this is how we met and got married. So, why don't
3: we start? Oh, we're pointing to Shane. You want me yeah, to start? Sure. Shane, all right. Shane's going to start. Yeah. Okay. So, I grew up in Pleasant Grove, Utah. And I would say that my parents, because they married young and I was not a mistake, I was a passion baby. So it was like 18, 19 years old and they're from Grove. Most of my aunts and uncles are there. And basically, fast forward, they had five children. They wanted four, but on number four, it was twins. And so I was the oldest of five kids and... Life was busy, and I would say my experience in the LDS faith, it was really strong through scouting up through 14. Then I went through a wild streak and drifted away from the church, and then uh, my priest quorum advisor and scout leader challenged me and two other buddies to get our lives in order. And uh, so we did some repenting, and I ended up serving a mission in Japan, and that became a defining moment because – the busyness of our family life was such that um, my parents were overwhelmed. And so it was just the leaders of the church kind of rescued me basically. And so I kind of, the mission experience combined with that rescuing intervention was really impactful to me. So that's probably what led me to cling to the church. And in our early part of the, as we get later into our story, you'll learn that I was rigid and and reactive, and so I didn't do so well until I softened. But that's pretty uh, much the background is uh, my, the other significant piece is just that um our family experienced divorce. And so I was very much anti-divorce. And so I really wanted to fight for a marriage and felt like love could find a way. And so that also comes into play later when we tell our story. But so really, it was kind of a a really magical moment except 14 to 18 when I kind of did some drifting and then I had that intervention. So that's a quick rundown of my background.
0: Okay, awesome. Shane, I'd wanna I want to go back just a little bit what age um did your parents get divorced? It was a pretty orthodox family. You were at church every week and and then also like what does drifting mean?
1: Oh as you tell us you're willing
0: to pass transgressions, you Katie. You don't have to lay out your transgressions. I'm just saying <laughs> like you just you were like a rebellious teenager. I'm like I'm not going to church. I'm not doing that. Or was
2: it like you had?
1: I shanked a dude and went <laughs> to juvie.
2: What did drifting mean to you?
3: Um, <laughs> drifting
2: meant that I was
3: p- partying, womanizing. I actually wrecked my dad's truck and and got a DUI. So it was pretty serious. Yeah, you know? sure. sure. Yeah. My parents didn't divorce until I was thirty. And the youngest in the family were eighteen and the ripple effect of that was pretty significant, you know, and I I won't go into all of the challenges in our family, but it just had a a pretty serious impact. Everyone in uh, of those five kids have struggled in different ways from you know, from that experience.
2: Sure.
0: Um, Let's go to your
2: wife now. (laughs) Wow. Well, there's so many facets to my world. Um, Well, I, I uh, was born in El Paso, Texas, and um, I, my mom um, divorced uh, my dad, my biological father, and she was a classical ballerina. Somewhere in the midst of this, she met my, my stepfather. I moved from El Paso, living with my grandparents to San Francisco, uh, she married a pretty wealthy man. And uh, I was about six years old. It My life changed uh, completely. And I was going to private schools and, you know, living in San Francisco. And yeah, pretty privileged uh, life. And we were Catholic. First Holy Communions. My mom, you know, volunteering with all the Catholicism groups and the nuns. And, um, and then we moved, um, to, um, Northern California or Northern California. And my mom decided that she didn't want to be Catholic anymore. And my parents were traveling and they stopped in the, the Mormon temple in Salt Lake city. And, uh, My mom had a really spiritual experience there and my dad said why don't you just leave them some money and tell them that we enjoyed it you know so, (laughs) so so my mom like writes this and says don't visit us and um about a couple months later these little mormon missionaries came with this like shaking with this thing in their card in their hand saying don't visit us And my mom was freaking out, brought them in, had all these discussions and, uh, you know, was like, oh, I want to get baptized. And my dad's like, oh, are you kidding me? No way. (laughs) So we went through 10 sets of missionaries. And uh, during those all those 10 sets of missionaries to this day, some are still on Facebook, you know, saying, hey, we remember the Joneses, Um, you know, that. Along the way of all those 10 sets of missionaries, I don't think we really even knew all the doctrine that we were supposed to know to get baptized. And I don't think the the elders before knew, you know, they didn't like... Telephone was really bad So by the time we actually got To the baptism point You know I told my dad If we weren't going to get baptized I was going to end up smoking and drinking And we were baptized that weekend (laughs) (laughs) I just loved it Because Catholicism was so dry And here the Mormon church Was just so Oh my gosh It was like all these activities And events for kids And it was like going to the circus compared to, you know, nailing, <laughs> sitting. Right. and all that stuff. So I was loving it. And, um, you know, growing up in the church, it was, it was so much fun. My mom started um, to become a youth speaker and I got to travel all over with her. And um, I just loved being Mormon. I, I can't even tell you, I loved it. Then it, you know, you go through all the, the dream of, getting married in the temple was like such a Disney magical thing in my head.
1: Cinderella's Uh, castle.
2: Yeah. You know that my, my, my mom and dad would always say you need to um, the, the kind of person that you need, that you want to attract, you need to be like them and you need to be developing the same qualities. Well, I didn't know anything about the church really because of our whole 10 sets of missionaries. And I was I don't know. I think I was more into boys and seminary than I was in the doctrine. <laughs> and so I decided, you know, I better go on a mission or I'm I'm not I don't know enough to marry a return missionary if I don't even know anything about the gospel myself. So I decided to go on a mission. Um I went to beauty school, got my you, license. You
3: asked to go to a third world country. Yeah, and
2: I, I like wanted so much to go to a third world country. So you dog went dog. to Georgia. Is that what you're telling us? <laughs> I, I went to Honduras. Honduras. And, uh,
1: there we go.
2: You know what I found? If you eat, sleep and drink something uh, a day in and day out, it is going to be in your heart. And I was so Mormon and I was so excited to marry a Mormon. And, um, you know, my mom, <laughs> this is interesting. My mom was a accounts well she had this camp in in uh, at BYU and Shane was her head counselor and Shane had asked can i be um, a counselor next year at your camp and my mom said Um, Shane, not only will I recommend you, but how would you like to marry my daughter? She's on her mission in Honduras. And she sends him this, like, glossy picture of me. And Shane writes me and says, your mom just asked me to marry you. If you're anything like she is, I'll date you in a heartbeat. But marriage is a little too premature right now to tell. So we ended up writing back and forth for eight months. And I came back and, oh, gosh, can I tell the story really fast? Yeah. This is awesome. So... um, (laughs) So next year that Shane was a counselor at the camp, my mom was introducing him to everybody as her future son-in-law. And so all the counselors were like, Oh my gosh, are you going to marry, um, you know, her daughter? Um, and, uh, Shane's like, you know, I don't even know her, you know,
3: I've been writing you, I I knew you, but not at that level. And um,
2: so when I came back, all the all the counselors decided to play a practical joke on Shane, and that I was going to be his mail order bride. So they they said, okay, you you have a wedding dress and a veil, and and we'll do everything. So they told me <laughs> it's
3: just going to be a little council reunion, and they told me a half hour later than everyone else. So everyone's set up for this mock wedding, and it was like a wedding. It was a practical joke, and there was on a me.
2: there was a preacher in Bermuda shorts and a tuxedo, and they <laughs> they said, so Shane walks in and he's like wringing his hands. He's so scared and nervous. Like, what the heck? And they said, "Bring in the young lady." <laughs> and the wedding march starts, and I come out. Oh, you know what? It even, Oh my gosh! It was so
3: funny. It, wait, was
2: that your first meeting? First um, time
3: meeting. Oh my goodness!
2: <laughs> you know, I gotta tell you, it even gets worse. Okay, so when I was on my mission, there were terrorist threats to kill the missionaries, and they had... They <laughs> that had is funny. <laughs> Oh that that is not fun. No, no,
3: that was no, I know good. That
2: was scary. <laughs> but but Shane had not sent me a picture of himself and so he said I'll send you one at the end of your mission. So we were in lockdown and the zone, zone leader calls me and says, well, I got a letter from Shane. I said, oh my gosh, open it up. You know, what does he look like? La, la, la. Because they all knew. And they swapped the pictures out and gave me some <laughs> other family's pictures. So I wasn't thinking that he was good looking at all. And I, I mean, it was fine. It just wasn't my type. Right. So I wasn't worried about meeting him because normally you would ruin some. Something like this. And when I came out, it was not the guy in the pictures. <laughs> and it was he was really good looking and cute. And oh, I thought I
1: was a little it. joke on both of you.
2: Yeah. This this this
0: story is so funny on so many levels, because I'm thinking like, you had you had an arranged marriage, you grew up Catholic. And did your dad ever get baptized? Did you say? Stepdad, right? All that stepdad, you were all. And how old were you? I was twelve. You were twelve. Okay, so I think that that is an interesting dynamic. Having grown up in that type of family, where the normal rules do not apply because you are not a normal Mormon family, that can cause problems in your marriage right off the bat.
2: Oh, right. For what? someone
0: who is super orthodox,
2: that's and- it. Yes. OK. Huge problems. And and yeah, I mean, right when you just said that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, exactly. Yeah. You know, it was. Um, yeah. So
3: in the first year, just to give you to validate your point suddenly because she's a returned missionary she's targeted for callings and all she'd experienced was being served as a youth and just having all these people plan something now she's in charge of planning things and organizing well, things
2: Well and I have to tell you like my Sundays growing up were um we'd go to an hour of church and then like in the middle of church we'd walk to 711 as a family and go get a <laughs> coke and then like I have a job my dad's watching football and I'm going yeah, yeah. and then we go out to dinner at night and City. So I mean, that's like my life. And then I marry him. A a
3: rigid Utah Mormon.
2: Oh, rigid. (laughs) Flipped upside down. But coming straight off a mission and meeting him and getting married so like six months later, I, I was still on the high of coming off my mission. It was where we really hit the the wall in the beginning was when we were coming down off the high of all of that yeah,
3: post honeymoon.
2: Yeah. Did the mission
0: help just a little bit, like give you an insight into what, you know, LD, what Sundays would look like in the future, or maybe like things that you didn't do, you didn't do before as your family did, but you know, as a missionary, or did you think it was totally different as a married person?
2: I think I loved my, I was so comfortable with my upbringing, That, um, I don't know, I think I was in denial thinking, oh, I can't wait for this to be over so I can get on with my life and not knowing that, you know, so I can get on with the fantasy of getting married in the Disneyland temple, you know, that (laughs) whole thing of a fantasy of it. I don't think that I even realized, um, The difference of being an adult, especially a return missionary, entering Utah, um, I'd never seen my parents ever have a calling. So um, it was crazy. And yes, I knew I was used to the structure of the church being a return missionary, and I knew what was expected of me. But to actually do it after the mission, I didn't want it. I I didn't want it. But I thought I did. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think that
0: there's I have some I've a lot going on in my head right now because I'm thinking of the the dynamic that your your parents have married having lived sort of this lifestyle that you go to church, go to 7-Eleven, go to dinner at night. Yeah. much much more flexible I think um than entering a marriage where it's, it's more rigid. And, and that would be, that would be a hard thing also, you know, later if there are problems going on in the marriage, you know, you go to your mom and you're like, mom, you know, what's going on here? This is weird to me. And she's like, I don't know. I mean, I I just think that there's just so many facets I want to go to. Let's get to, okay. How long have you been married? When did you get married? And then um, tell us if you have children and, you know, what ages they are right now.
3: So we, we married in 93, we've been married 27 years and our children are 24, 22 and 16. So we still have one at home and two in college.
0: Okay. And what were some of the major challenges, um, maybe Shane, you could speak to this, the rigidity of of the orthodox of Mormonism and that you saw right off the bat that you guys had to work through.
3: Um,
2: <laughs> the salon I, in uh, so, Melrose Place. So, so
3: Wendy <laughs> immediately gravitated towards this high-end salon where of the 27 stylists, I think 20 were gay. And so I went to the first Christmas party and the guys were saying, I insist that I cut your hair, and I was just overwhelmed, because I had not, I I wouldn't say I was homophobic, I was just, like, not aware at all, and Wendy was drawn to that from her San Francisco upbringing. Sure. And and, and then the clothes that she wore, I remember, like, those look like elephant pants, they were just really flared out, like super flares, you know, and and, and then I was like... I was hit. Yeah, you were (laughs) hit. (laughs) And so this San Francisco fashionista, and I'm kind of this conservative Christian, and then where some of the Rocky moments started was one time she was mowing the lawn on a Sunday and I came out rigid Mormon like, Hey, you can't mow the lawn. It's a a special day. It's a Holy day. I don't know if I call it the Sabbath. And I saw the hurt on her face. The the
2: neighbors would see.
3: Was that what I said? So I was into appearances. Appearances. I'll own that. And then um, I think that I had two callings that really took a toll on the marriage. One was Scoutmaster, and I was trying to get this special unit award where you can't 10 out of the 12 months, which I wish I hadn't done that (laughs) even though I did do it and we, we got it. It just was so much time away from family and then a bishop that calling and actually the bishop tuned in and I was just had blind spots here thinking Wendy was happy. But every once in a while, if we were going to the temple, she's like, I don't feel like going to the temple. I don't want to go to the temple. So I got little red flags that she wasn't happy but I don't believe I was tuned in and very empathetic. And I was just like, just fit in and just be Mormon your own way. And I just didn't, I minimized her pain.
2: Well, I think, I think he was so like not cueing in on my background at all. And really, he didn't really know my, my parents when we were first married. I, I was starting to realize I was kind of coming off of that high of being on a mission and then wanting so badly to go back to my, the way it was with my family kind of more loosey goosey and and more comfortable. Yeah. More flexible and like normal. And this Mm -hmm. didn't feel, it felt like I was in like an Amish community or I don't know. It was just very restrictive. And um, I can remember Shane saying, I need for you to read scriptures, you know, 30 minutes with me every morning. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I cannot stand this. So I would go to the salon and try to kind of run away. And then, um, I was getting into watching Melrose Place, and he was trying to like lure me away to, <laughs> to like not watch that because it was bad. And, oh God! Okay, Wait. the
0: equivalent of for those young young people, the equivalent <laughs> of Melrose Place would be what like Real Housewives? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, right. <laughs> So it was bad. It was bad Mormon behavior. Oh, I loved the salon. <laughs> no.
3: Yeah, Wendy fit in at the salon. Yeah,
2: I loved the salon. It, it, but it felt like home to me. So it was my escape. Yeah. Right. And I would say.
3: A, a significant experience with the salon was that she she set a boundary with me saying, I'm not going to be a barefoot pregnant Mormon wife. I want to work. And then about after having Taylor. A lot of the the clients that she was cutting their hair, they were having kids and doing playgroups. And if am I getting that right, make it right if I don't have it right. And so you started to have second thoughts where you wanted to be home. or, no, no. or make it right. That was no, in the second year. No, I had
2: years. I had um, three years in. I had my first son, and then. Um, I was noticing like having him at daycare it was really difficult for me and I wanted to be with him. And then I accidentally, my daughter knows, uh got pregnant with my daughter when he was 9 months old. So it was just like whoa, everything was happening so quick. So I would say I we sat down and talked about it. Of course Shane was like, "Well, the prophet says that you should be a stay-at-home mom." I loved being in the salon, but I don't I don't um yeah, I didn't. I can't do things half and half. My my, right. my heart wanted to be with my kids. So I decided to let go of my dreams of, you know, moving up in the salon world because I couldn't have been a mother. And I didn't realize what that even meant. But I loved being a mom. So gave up my hair career. But I'm starting it back up right
1: now. <laughs>
0: oh, that's great.
2: That's yeah. very exciting for you. We'll have yeah. to put <laughs> a little
1: 30-second advertisement spot <laughs> at the end of the episode.
0: <laughs> Let's go to Shane. Um, you, If you want to just talk a little bit, maybe a few points as to your parents' divorce, you said happened when you were 30. So yeah. you, the two of you were married, raising kids, and what what kind of effect did that have on your marriage and you personally?
3: First of all, I think the, the biggest consequence that hurt me the most was family traditions around Christmas, Thanksgiving, get-togethers fell apart. The leadership of our family fell apart. And I, being the oldest kid and a therapist, was trying to like organize little family reunions and get-togethers. but my siblings were kind of like herding cats. Like, they're like, we don't want to get together. Okay, we'll get together, but don't try to micromanage us, Shane. So it was just really awkward, you know? And then I, as a therapist, see tons of couples fall apart and have a divorce. And I kind of get to see the aftermath with people that go down that path. And so I just see a lot of pain and that impacts the way I, I view marriage. So I was... Knowing that we were having some real significant marriage issues, but kept my faith that love would find a way but yeah it it the plot thickens as we go further down the path of the mixed faith marriage challenge
2: the yeah. The thing that was so awesome is i man I just just always so in love with him and our chemistry is just amazing and our and so you like take that portion and it was just so amazing and then the church part was not
3: yep I validate that
2: (laughs) yeah
0: Shane I, I mean I'm I'm thinking about you and you're seeing your you're saying like love will find a way but that wasn't the case for your parents I don't know, did you feel like you were naive in in thinking that or feeling that? Probably
3: I was naive. I could validate that.
0: Yeah. yeah. I feel like you learn a lot, right? When you have to go through it yourself. Right. And, and you know, one thing Alan and I were very naive at uh, at the beginning when we would meet with couples, we thought, well, no, you I mean, we always feel like if you if you have a good marriage, you can work through this mixed faith. You know thing, but then quickly we realized there were couples that didn't have a good marriage, and then you add a mixed faith, a transition on top of it, and it it crumbles, right? It, and sometimes it that's the way it should be is that they need to part ways. But at the beginning, Al and I were like, no, we need to save every marriage, and we need to you know help these people stay married and. And I think that was, I mean, I asked you, because it was very naive of us to think that that um, was good. What was good for, for everyone? It's not good for everyone, right? I,
3: I do believe that sometimes for people to grow in the ways that they need to, divorce can be an option. And I see that in my counseling practice. And there were a couple times, because we were separated two times in the early part, that I felt like we could divorce. And I was trying to wrap my head around, even though I'm a therapist and I'm supposed to know this, I have to eat humble pie and realize that our marriage could fall apart and we may not make it. And we need to kind of set each other free to start a new life. But we're here in a better place. But there there were some touch and go places that were very close to divorce.
2: The the very interesting thing, though, about our, our marriage is we... Yep. Yeah, our we were so, we've always been so close and we've always had such a, a strong connection. So as I was in separation number one, I still loved him. And separation number two, like wanting the very best for him and like putting my heels in that I'm going to divorce you so you can finally be free and have that Mormon spouse that you always wanted. So, and that was... um. Three days before we signed papers, we reconciled. So the, the love was always really strong.
1: Yeah. Wow. We, we, I can't wait to get to the portion when you talk to us about how love did find a way, right? Hmm. All the different ways that you found this to be a strengthening of your marriage and how you, you got to that place. Uh, Wendy, we'd, we'd love to hear, I think before we started recording, you mentioned, Shane, that it, it would spend about eight years. So Wendy, we'd love to hear, you've already given us a taste of this wasn't the LDS life you thought you were going to, you were getting into, get us up to that point eight years ago that it kind of came to a head. What did that look like for you?
2: Um, It was actually 11 when I first started and um, it was, you know, the whole, the whole battle over um, being, feeling too controlled, feeling too controlled by the church, feeling too controlled by Shane like I could never get out of callings I I was supposed to do callings and do them well um Shane would say you know I don't understand you why why can't you just you know be like all the nice good mormons out there the girls you know and I I put up I put up walls of oh I'm just going to be you know, angry Wendy. So nobody comes up to me, you know, so all all these walls and, and, uh, my godsend in all of this was I loved being my, a mother. And so I could go inside and be with my kids and be so happy and then walk out the door and there everyone was, you know, my, my ward was everyone in the neighborhood, you know, was in, in the ward house. So everyone knew everyone's business. And And, um, so I decided I, I just wasn't happy. And I, I, you know, at that point going to church felt like, um, a a dark black hole, you know, going, going there, I didn't want to be there, but I had to be there. You know, my daughter got baptized and, you know, I had to, I made a blanket and, and did a talk and (laughs) I didn't want to be there. And so finally it just came to a head and I, I took my garments off and I just said, you know, this is the start of it. And, um, I want out and, um, you know, the, the buzz around the ward was starting to go that I was, you know, something was happening to me. And then, you know, I experienced being shunned. I mean, literally everyone shut me out. And, um, it was a, it was a really, um, painful experience to be so close to people and then have them not look at you. Um, you know, it was just very strange, you know, at that point, I I think I held my breath for 16 years and I had a therapist that said, you know, um, when cows, they, they put them in this squeezer to, um, give them their medication and they can't move. And she said, you're in a squeezer where, you know, you can't breathe. And I did it for so long. She said, if you kept doing this, you'd be in a mental institution, <laughs> you know, down the road. And so finally I just said, I need to be free. And I just took uh, my metaphor as I took a sledgehammer and I shattered every glass wall around me and I didn't care what happened. And, you know, um, In hindsight, there was a lot, there was a lot of damage that was going to happen, but I'm really grateful that I did a really hard thing because um, it's hard to stick up for yourself and it's hard to do what's right for yourself when it can look really selfish. But for my mental health, I'm really grateful I did it. That was at that point when I was getting shunned, I told Shane, I I have to get divorced or we have to move out of the state. I can't, I can't live like this. And, um, so he said, you know what? I want to keep our marriage intact and I'll move wherever you want to go. So I wanted to live with Mickey mouse in Florida, (laughs) but the schools weren't that great. (laughs) So when you look on best schools in the country, Frisco, Texas popped up. And that's where we moved and we just didn't look back. And I was so thankful for Shane for, you know, like selling his business, starting over. I mean, it was hard and I'm really thankful for the sacrifices that he made, but, but it, it only got worse, (laughs) you know, from moving here, thinking that everything was going to be better to um, just the pressure of, well, now we're in Texas where it's not as rigid. So, you know, nobody, everybody like holds your breath and don't say anything at, on Sunday because mom's putting her toe back in the church and I don't want to like mess anything up. And, and, you know, I would be in relief society and Shane would be, you know, in a couple's thing with me and I, I could see him looking over at me like, oh, is she getting emotional? Is she feeling the spirit? Is she, you know, just every, he was so like hopeful that that this was going to change everything and i loved the people but that's when i started um really going i've got to see for myself if this is for me and that's when i started reading um books of other other people's journeys uh ex missionaries their journeys and and then i started going you know i've never really delved into um The, the history of the church, you know, and then we have the internet. And so I, I started going in and, and, you know, for the first time, really taking it on for myself, going, is this right for me? And how powerful that was for me to be able to make decisions for myself and, and learn about, you know, (laughs) was it true or not? And, um, yeah, it just slowly, Slowly, I slowly started morphing out and I tried other um churches, non-denominational churches. I went to one for a while. I went to another for a year and a half. And yeah. yeah.
3: That's your story. Yeah. Mm. Hearing your pain makes me sad because <laughs> that tells me that there's still some raw spots, even eight years later. Yeah, and it's hard so, to visit it. Okay. I thank,
0: feel like it's behind thank, us. Thank
3: you for having the courage to share that. <laughs> we're supposed to be
1: the ones to say that you're you're
0: validating your (laughs) why
1: you're awesome and yeah wendy thank you i i can only imagine how great it is for so many especially post-mormon or transitioning women Mm -hmm. to hear that Mm -hmm. um that's a lonely space it is a
0: lonely space i love the visual that you shared of taking a sledgehammer and shattering the glass all around you because that is like you said, it is so hard to do.
1: Can I ask, what did, what does that mean? That I got this picture of you were, I mean, in today's world, it's I posted publicly on Facebook. I told all my family where I was. It was just a hard cut. Like I had, what did, it sounded like those were specific actions. Were there specific actions that you meant by... The the sledgehammer metaphor?
2: Being the daughter or the wife that was supposed to do everything the way that the church had stated that we should do it. Uh, getting married in the temple and making covenants that say this is the way that we're supposed to do it not wanting to mess up the structure of the kids and what what's going to happen if I leave the church will that send a ripple with my kids and my family um my I mean there's a there's a lot of ripple effects that happen so I think that there is a there comes a point that you're in so much pain that you want out of that and you're willing to risk everything for it and you don't care. And that is, I've had it and I I have to change. And I know that this isn't going to be good. <laughs> and I didn't know how or, or what, if I would lose my husband, I had a, a therapist that said, Wendy, I went through a master's program with Shane. We went to school together. You leave the church, you lose your husband. And I loved my husband. I think I kept in the church because I was so scared of losing him. And there there came a point that I said, no more. I just can't do it anymore. And that's that's the sledgehammer. Yeah. They don't care.
1: Yeah. So Shane, you know, as as this is happening over the years and... It's coming to a head. The garments come off. The sledgehammer comes out.
2: You move.
1: You move. I mean, clearly, I love this message of things are hard, but you're putting the marriage first. But so, Shane, what?
2: <laughs> shame.
1: Does tell me about you know what's happening inside of you. <laughs> what's happening inside of you during this time?
3: You know, I feel like I I lingered in betrayal and loss too long, and I. I thought as a therapist that I could somehow use my psychology and you could pick up in her story, my manipulative ways <laughs> Yeah,
2: and, psychology. I, I, and
3: people call me a persuader. Like, I, you know, most marriages are like this and that's kind of like a sneaky way of saying, I'm right. You're wrong, which she catches me now. I can't get away with that kind of stuff, <laughs> no. but, but anyhow, so really what's happening for me, I'm being reactive. I'm, um, one thing I have a deep regret over, I'm venting in a journal and I, and I'm, my judgmental Mormon persona's on and I write in there something really ugly like, someday if our kids go off the deep end and drift away from the church, cause you got to remember my teen experience and that's burned and matched in my mind that, um, Wendy's going to be held accountable and Wendy is, she respects my privacy, but there was just some unusual things happened with our son stealing our computer. And we were, she was trying to get it from him. And then I had this document open and she read it. And she was so wounded that her husband would have this.
2: Hoping, hoping to get
3: in trouble at the judgment bar. (laughs) And I just have such deep regret that I would think like that and act like that. I've come a long way now that I believe God will embrace her and, and hug her and just, Know her so well that that won't be a chastising thing. If anything, it'll all be chastised (laughs) for how much I hurt her with my judgmental rigidness for so many years and kind of drove her.
2: Or we had family home evening before we left for Texas and he had. The kids, the little kids around the table reading the pride article from, you know, Spencer W. Kimball. No, like, Benson. Oh, Benson. <laughs> like, oh my gosh.
3: Yeah. So I was pretty bad. I was a pretty oh. bad, um, a very loving Mormon, a little too rigid and judgmental. And I'm, I'm glad that is those layers have fallen off. So <laughs> Shane
2: okay, I... later.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted to key in on one thing you mentioned,
1: because there, I think it's implied, but if we don't draw attention to it, it may go unnoticed. You you mentioned that you stayed in your betrayal and loss for too long. The implication being that it's okay and expected to feel betrayal and loss. You just don't want to get stuck there. Right. Uh, it's the same thing for the transitioner, right? It's the same thing for the trans- transitioner. It is Natural. And okay to be angry, to feel like you've been betrayed by the church, but you don't want to get stuck there, right? So, I mean, maybe you're the therapist. So if if that's wrong, let me know. (laughs) But it seems like, you know, for any listeners that are that believing spouse, of course, we want to love and get past that betrayal and loss. But like, don't beat yourself up, right? If you are feeling that betrayal and loss, because your whole world is flipping upside down. I can hear it in both of your voices that like you both are feeling both at the same time. That's why it's so hard. You're feeling, you're feeling so bad about what your spouse is experiencing at the same time. You're mad at how it's impacting you Yeah. Yeah. on both sides. It's, it's so difficult.
2: Like he would go to church and he'd be alone and just upset about that, you know? And I, I felt awful.
3: Yeah. And I think that, what if hindsight's 2020 20, i wish when my reactive wounded side of myself whether that was betrayal or loss or anger that she did she changed the rules mid marriage that i had just gone somewhere privately and just gathered myself and then i could return back with more wisdom and less reactivity and handle things much better and you know i just threw in so many jabs that were just hurtful. And it just escalated that phase of betrayal and loss much longer. But I I, I do think it, I use my journal to kind of unload, sometimes not in a judgmental way, but a therapeutic way. And then I had, here's two real key things that were defining moments that shifted us. We, we came up with this piano metaphor and that Each world religion and philosophy of thought can be compared to a piano keyboard. And there's keys of truth in all of these religions and philosophies of good living. But you need to find something that plays music for life, your life. life. And Wendy, the Mormon faith did not play music for her life. But But it it, plays
2: music for yours. Yeah.
3: And so... I started to move out of loss into acceptance that I want her to be happy. And so I'm going to honor her path and try to build bridges with her.
2: And I go to a spiritual center now that is not really religious. It's more on the spiritual end of things. And it plays huge music in my life. And it's bright and beautiful
1: for you. So what, what does that mean? Like oh tell me about this this spiritual um, center if you don't it's, mind. Uh
2: called Agape and it's in Frisco, Texas, and it's the Center for Spiritual Living. And it is um um uh, kind of more on the Eastern religion philosophy, so a lot of meditation. Um
3: Love yourself. Yeah. Um Meditate.
2: How to, how to self-love through conscious living. And, um, I started reading a book, um, from Eckhart Tolle called A New Earth, and that kind of changed everything for me. I, I, I just was so enthralled with this book of living in the now and, and being consciously aware and, and how my, my, my consciousness is my st- my spiritual being. And I, you know, it was kind of Shane and I could kind of connect on that because I could say, you know, when you're in the temple and you are talking to God, it's the same feeling that I feel when I'm meditating, but I am connecting with God through my soul. And it's the same, it's that's it's the same experience. It's just looking at it differently. He'll read Jesus Calling and I can feel it. You know, it, it's, I don't believe that there's a man in the sky, but I do believe in God, you know, not a person or an anthropomorphic, you know, just It's God. evolved over yeah. time. So. We right. we have been able to build somewhat bridges, bridges. Yeah. but it's I am very happy and he's very happy and he's actually more open now to like meditating and living in the now. And um whereas before, I think it was a trigger, like don't mention it because that's how you left the church. You
1: know? <laughs> right. It feels like a replacement to prayer. Like meditation is like meditation. Wait, that's a replacement uh, to prayer. Right. We don't need to replace. You know, prayer. and
2: and a lot of this, like we were talking about like your, your traumas and our, our daughter actually was battling suicidal ideation at 12. And, you know, it's kind of hard to say, but because she got a lot of help, but that crisis actually saved our marriage. And, it was mm. a therapist like she had to go to a, a therapeutic residential, residential treatment, treatment, tre- treatment center in utah for two and a half years and um shane and i were almost at the brink of divorce and they said we will work with you whether you stay married or divorce but we've got to put you guys together so you can yeah raise our daughter um yeah so so you know she was the one that said okay you have trauma, Wendy, you have trauma, Shane. So what I need for you two to do is go to therapy and start working on your issues because it's like, I was telling Shane today when we were talking about all this, you know, it's, it's the battleground of who's right. And, and I'm right. You're right. You know, it's the church versus the church or wherever the other spouse went when really in therapy, we we sat down and we both went to therapy on our own started healing our own individual pains and then having a therapist bring us together once and once we're still working on each other bringing us together and saying okay let's look at the facts and she she was the one that started putting it together and saying, well, Shane, you know, what about this? Maybe, you know, maybe because you're a therapist, everything is always right. You know, Shane was always right because he was a therapist. So it was very interesting to get another therapist view saying, well, you know, think about this or, you know, uh, just making both of us question. And that really changed a lot for us. So I would say therapy is is so important, yeah. you know? Yeah. So how Holly,
3: these crisis, I'm a talker combined with, with therapy kind of forces to come together in a significant way. And I got challenged and I had to be humble and accept challenging from the therapist. And, and that was good from for our me.
2: Hurts. And
3: then do personal work. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Cause a lot of times I don't think we take time for ourselves, you know, just, or where we have our kids or, you know, oh, I'm in so much pain. I think we shoved this under the carpet and pretended like life was great until Sunday came and then it flared its ugly head and then we shoved it back under the carpet. So I think it, in, if we had done this earlier, I think we could have gotten through this much quicker, but it's, it's looking, looking at hard things in your, in yourself and, and you know, what what has hurt you and to find out what you need to do to fix and heal that portion of yourself. And then once you do that, then you can come together and, and, you know, be more self-aware mm-hmm. of this situation of their hurt, your hurt. And look, I, I have um, a power animal that I love is a giraffe. Cause you, you look above the trees and I think there's a, I think meditation helps, but, To be able to look at the problem above the trees really helps. Nice
3: point of
1: view.
2: Nice point of view, yeah. Yeah. There. Oh, my gosh.
0: So many nuggets that I'm, like, pulling out from all of this that I absolutely love. Um, I think that this is a, a good call to those of us who neglect self-care because self-care looks so different in every marriage and for every person. But what you're saying is, you know, I think you can get caught up in your, your family's problems, your kids' problems, right? But that's not where the healing needs to happen, right? I mean, they were really wise to say, no, 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 you too need to figure out how to work together in order to be able to move forward to heal. And that's part of self-care, which is we, what we are terrible at, right? We give, 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 give. And then when it comes to, to sitting down and taking the time and perhaps the money and um, in order to do that, but I think it just goes to show that you're. I mean, the two of you are the base of the family. Everything good, healing-wise, and um, comes from that base. So, Shane, I wanted to ask, what were some of the wins that you felt like you both had through, uh, you know, going through therapy and maybe communicating on a better level? What, how did you feel about it?
3: I think that the therapist, her name was Diana, was basically in a gentle but direct way saying, I see your pain, Shane, and I see how you cling to the church. And I also have a tendency of over-functioning, and I need to slow down and do self-care. And so the therapist, in gentle ways, just pointed out, could I get you for your homework to do your work, Shane? And, you know, I want you to look at this piece or that piece. and And I had to, you know, drop some rigidness, judgmental, um worrying and fear-based around my kids, if they're not all in the church, that somehow they're going to fall down into the gutter because I had that experience in my teen years and I watched my siblings kind of struggle. And so I had to really just kind of live more in faith. And then the other defining moment, a win, even though this was still in the middle of some crisis, we did a 20-year vow renewal on the beach and we, we wrote our vows to each other. And it was the symbol of a new marriage. It wasn't in the castle. It was more romantic. And my dad, you know, facilitated the ceremony. And it, it gave me a lot of hope that we're going to start a new marriage out of the crisis and the pain and build something better. And it gave me a lot of hope, even though we still had some bumps after that. <laughs> we, 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 I do think that that gave some hope and momentum for us.
2: What did the vow renewal m- mean for you, Wendy? You know what? The, the vow renewal was kind of in the middle of like we had a separation and then we came back together and we had the vow renewal. Now, I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm trying to think because there was still a lot that we had to move on past that. But it was, it was a lovely moment that I did feel hope for our marriage i'm just a little hesitant now because we we did have quite a ways to go and i think we were like hoping it was over at that point <laughs> <laughs> and we still had like a lot of work seven more years to go <laughs> so yeah because is coming up i mean you could have a second vowel renewal <laughs> oh yeah we're planning on we're going to europe for 30th we got a We've got a countdown on our on our fridge, fridge that says five hundred and sixty mm-hmm. seven days to go. <laughs>
1: That's great. I love it.
2: Oh. Yeah.
1: oh, how cool.
2: Tell us. I mean,
0: you can share as much as you want, but how do you think um, your kids have fared during all of this? How do you deal yeah. with different differences in raising children um, and their own opinions about how they think it should go?
2: I I was we were kind of talking about this before we were talking with you guys. And, you know, I think Shane had such a huge fear of our kids, like going wayward. And, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty our Our kids, none of them are LDS now, you know, and I had thought that maybe one would be and they're all not. But, you know, I I still see greatness in all of them because of my trauma of being controlled so much um i'm just fierce about having them make their own choices and whatever those choices are be it i you know i told them if you want to be active lds if you want to be jewish if you want to be gay or straight or whatever i will i will love you regardless you know so don't feel like you can't be who you want to be. Um so, you know, our son was LDS for a long time. Our daughter, our youngest daughter was, and then our oldest our middle child went off on my direction and she lives in Portland and she's loves <laughs> yeah. the earth. And you know
3: so, so I wanna chime in here. I'm a big I do a family book for each year and, and I do a newsletter I'm going to give you a glimpse into Noelle at five years old. So this is before any of the shelf falling. Okay. Uh, and this, and then I'm going to fast forward to her describing her past year. Cause I'm like, I don't have to write a newsletter for my adult kids. They can describe their own world. You know what I mean? So this is Noelle <laughs> at, at four years old. I gave Noelle a baby bunny that one of my clients gave me. We named him copper after one of the 2002 Olympic mascots. Noelle carries copper about the house feeds them carrots in a high chair, carts them around in her stroller and even sleeps with them occasionally. She's an animal lover. She loves being involved in adult stuff. She wants to help cook, wants to play on the computer only when we are using it, wants to put on makeup, In short, anything we're doing she wants to do. At Challenger, she is learning what she calls her bowels (laughs) instead of
2: vowels. (laughs) 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 Another
3: blooper about Noelle is, she was running around with copper in a chokehold and the bunny's tongue was sticking out. And we said, Noel, the bunny, you're choking the bunny. And she looks down at the bunny and says, the bunny is sticking its tongue out for joy. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't think so. (laughs) Okay. And then um, they came home and recited the pledge of allegiance. And it was right after nine 11 and it was just really touching to us. Now fast forward, she's lived in Portland. This is, it triggers me a little bit because it's so liberal and I'm so conservative, but I agree with Wendy that I see greatness in her, even though she's got a different worldview. Here she is now describing her world. Almost
2: 23.
3: Noel's taken up a- cl- from She the, wrote this. From the collective upheaval of this year, an opportunity to realign her values with the impact she wants to make in the world and her own chosen way of life after finishing a 9 month permaculture design certification that's doing design of gardening that's all natural is what that if and then attempting to plan uh her own naturally built tiny home she's chosen to take some time some time away from school to WOOF, and that stands for W-O-O-F, Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. She's in Hawaii. We're going to go visit her in a couple of weeks. And she's on this forest farm in Oahu where she gets free room and board for harvesting. She's planning on also doing a five-month natural building internship in Moab to gather the skills necessary to build her own self-sustaining home one day alongside Her physical transitions, Noelle took part in the Black Lives Matter protests, and she's working to deconstruct white supremacist patriarchal narratives (laughs) within herself and to free up space for anti racism. She's looking forward to being a seed, to seeing a seed in the world take root from the turmoil of this world, and she wants to be a light to help cultivate that. So that is
2: beautiful,
3: Noelle. (laughs)
2: she's a rock star. She
3: is pretty amazing.
2: You know, and our kids had a, a lot. These two had our, our oldest had a lot of years in the Mormon church, you know, up
3: to 14 and 16. Yeah.
2: And they look, both of them look back on it and say, I loved being Mormon when we were kids. So I think it shaped them into great people. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I love the, um,
0: just the thought of her all I mean from a young age saying what she thinks about her bunny no you know just reframing what everyone else is telling her she's reframing oh no he's sticking his tongue out for joy and now she's doing that as an adult she's reframing what people see and she's doing it so it works for her and I I see that in those two stories and it's it sounds like she's being true to who she is so that's very beautiful and what, one last
3: side note is in, in the blessing of giving her a name, I felt prompted that she would make a difference in the world. And I must admit that I had this narrow minded, like, oh, she's going to be a missionary, but she is an earth girl. Like she loves mother earth and it's got a whole new meaning now that she's really into like saving the earth. And, and it's just so. I, we didn't teach her any of that. She was just drawn to that. And that's her life call now. <laughs>
1: well, this one's on you, dad, for for telling her she's going to make a difference literally in the earth, in the world. So, and she's making a difference in the world.
2: Yeah. I wow. One other quick thing. Of course. Yeah. When we were on our last separation, like right before we almost were divorced, my spiritual leader had said, you know, I want you to make sure that you once you get divorced, that you do not date for a year, you know, to just uh, realign with your values, and you know, I was just in that space, and I, I did, I had put a, ugh, I shouldn't have even been there, but I did go on some dating sites, and I,
0: I was exploring what
2: was out there, yeah, and I did meet a couple people that it was really interesting of someone that doesn't understand your LDS background. And, you know, the thought of moving on and moving forward and and marrying someone else that doesn't understand that and coming back with Shane and, you know, there's, there's just part of me is LDS and part of my history is LDS and part of who I am is LDS. I feel really grateful that I have, <laughs> I have the best of the church in my life right now, that I get to go to the socials and meet the people and go to the craft nights. And, you know, I have, <laughs> I don't need, I don't have to do the callings. And I just feel like the luckiest wife of a Mormon <laughs> that, um, you know, there's great things about him and, and he, our journey together, it was half Mormon, you know, and that's who we are. And even our story of me leaving the church and finding my, what plays music for me and him of what music plays for him. We go to church now, two different places on Sunday and come together and we're okay. You know, Mm -hmm. We're, we're happy and we're okay now. Yeah. It's,
1: it's you it. are both just a delight i can't even we do i promise you we do not say this every episode this has been phenomenal yep to to listen to both of you oh my goodness it's just the greatest
2: I help. <laughs> yeah there's <I, laughs> you
1: know, a lot of struggle and pain but we love do it. <laughs> you can do it so that's what we actually want to get to is words of encouragement words of advice for those that are listening we always ask this as kind of the the final question of whether it's lessons learned or, you know, barbed wire not to step in. What would you, what advice would you recommend to those that are finding themselves in a mixed faith marriage now, all of a sudden?
2: Okay. Because of COVID, I, I, get to kind of listen to my husband do counseling a bit. And even though he has a headphone on, he's always saying to every couple that comes on, tell me your love story and tell me how you met and tell me what attracted you to your spouse. And each spouse says, you know, even though they're in the midst of pain, he's like, I just want to put that aside right now and tell me how you fell in love, you know, and it's, it's about all of us fell in love, you know, well, I mean, our, mm-hmm. our, our spouses, yeah. you know, we fell in love with that person enough that we wanted to spend the rest of our lives together. So, um, I think that is a really neat point that we all have that and we can go back to that. And that's where I guess the vow renewal would would be a great, you know, thing to let you realize your love story, you know, yeah. and you should tell him about the blanket stepping ceremony or, oh, well. It's okay. He, yeah. He just, in his counseling, he has this blanket stepping ceremony that you.
3: It's a Native American tradition where you throw out one blanket that's muted and tattered and the couple stands on it and they, based on two days of working together, name those things that they're going to let go of. And it could be bitterness, selfishness, or maybe playing on my phone too much, whatever it might be. Yeah. And then you step on the new blanket and then make a commitment, hold hands, look each other in the eye of what your new marriage is going to be like and what commitments. And we give couples time to write out their little mini renewal. And, and there's uh, no I,
2: magic cure and yeah. there's no magic pill and there's a lot of working that goes yeah. involved. But there was, there is a marriage love story in there so yeah. i i do love that that's
3: great i don't what would you say shane yeah i would just echo what wendy said that we have a love story that we were able to recover and one of my favorite quotes by robert Browning is the best of marriage is yet to be yeah. and if you keep that in mind and just know that um marriage is an adventure in love it's just it's the early part, it's a roller coaster. <laughs> but I'm glad that, you know, we now are kind of having a little more peaceful waters over the last few years. And I it's, love you, Wendy. And I thanks for too. staying with me.
2: Yeah, I, I I really do. Another thing we I learned in um, Uinta was to to validate. You know, I, I don't think that my parents did that. I never saw that. The other day, Shane was uh worried about our retirement. You know, we haven't really we don't have a huge nest egg. And he got kind of emotional. And I, and I said, you know, I just sat down with him and held his hands and looked in his eyes and said, I I understand. And I feel your pain. And I want you to know that I'm going to help you. and, And we can do this together. So I did learn the program where Hallie was, that validation is really important that when someone is in pain, that you say, I hear you, and I, I know, I know, I caused you, I, I caused him pain, and he would say the same to me. You know, I, I caused you pain as well. That's a nice thing we've learned along the way. And one other thing is the, the, the fire that is so difficult to go through. There is light on the other side, and you just have to have. <laughs> so Mormon cliche, but you have to have faith that you keep going through that when you get to the other side. It's, it's so worth it. Yeah.
0: I don't, I just think that there is nothing else to add to that. That is just, thank you for being so open. I mean, this is a really hard thing to talk about. It's so apparent to us who are looking at you, but also um, I hope others feel you can just feel the love between the two of you, the hard work you've done and put into your marriage. I mean, it shows and you can, we can feel it. So I, I want to just say, thank you so much for the two of you for agreeing to be on and to sharing your story, because I just feel like this story will help someone out there listening. It's going to be important for them to hear your words and get hope and, and gain perspective and know that healing and um a better place is ahead of them. So thank you.
1: I'll be honest, I you know, we started this, you know, right after we get off here, we're gonna be going and putting our four kids to bed.
0: <laughs> when
1: we when we jumped on this, I was tired. I haven't felt myself today. I felt a little sick today.
0: It's and not COVID. It's not COVID.
1: <laughs> it's so but you you guys have seriously just lifted my spirits. And completely inspired me today, and I don't say that often. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on. And even if we, even if this episode is never released, which it will be, don't worry. <laughs> even if this episode is never released, you've already done what Katie just said with one, with one dude, with one tall balding guy right here. Two, so,
0: there's two of us. <laughs> yeah, Shane and
1: Wendy Adamson. Thank you so much for joining us on Marriage in a Tightrope. Yeah. I just I hope we can have you on again sometime soon. And Shane, we're going to see you in the Facebook group this month as the as the visiting MFT. Well, you're the admin. You can bump me to January or keep me now. I'm, whatever you decide. I'm, I'm. all right.
0: There's
1: moderators, there's admins, and then there's the Grand Moth, which is a Star I'm the Grand Moth.
0: Oh, <laughs> who does that make me?
3: Princess,
0: Princess Leia? Leia. Yeah. <laughs> That's
1: right.
0: Thanks so
3: much, you
1: you guys.
0: We're gonna see that it was better that we grew up together. Tell me you don't wanna leave,
1: cause if change is what you need, you can change right next to me. When you're high, I'll
0: take the lows you can ebb and I can flow. We'll take it slow and grow as we go. Grow as we
3: go.